Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture is from Mark 12, verses 13 to 17, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is God's holy word. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Normally I open it up for comments later on in the sermon. Today it's going to be a little different. I'm going to open it up for, a com- for some comments right now. Let's start with a question. I want to ask you a question. Can you be a good citizen and a good Christian at the same time? And I'm not only asking Christians to answer that question. If you're not a Christian, um, you may have a perspective as an outsider on on Christians and and churches as they relate to um, society, toward government, toward politics. So I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to say, too. What do you think? Can you be a good citizen and a good Christian at the same time? Okay, so it depends on, on what your government is asking you to do and, and, and whether or not you would have to um, choose allegiance toward Christ or toward your government. Is that what you're saying? Okay, so it's not always cut and dry. Okay, yeah. It would also depend on your theological perspective. What you believe the Bible commands you. For example, if you're Amish or Mennonite and you're pacifist, Like a con- conscientiously objecting uh, because of your conscience. Yeah. Okay. Good. So even even within Christianity, there are differing views. Uh, yeah. Um, somebody over here. Okay, so being active is a good thing in your government, may or, but that may or may not be true. Yeah, yeah. Was somebody else? Yeah.
you said for the most part you can be good at both, but at some points you may have to decide who, who and which take priority, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world, you know, whether it be the United States of America or Ghana or Liechtenstein. I had to throw that one in there. <laughs> Whoever gets to talk about Liechtenstein. One more, yeah. So the Christian can be a better citizen um, than, than the average person because of what, what the Bible says about being a part of society. Okay. What's interesting, though, is it's not cut and dry. I didn't just get yes answers and no answers. I got a lot of it depends answers, which, which is great. Okay. Thanks for, thanks for doing that so early. I was like, where can I ask them a good question this week? And that was like the only place that made sense to me. So now you're off the hook. You can just listen for a while. You know, regardless of, regardless of the circumstance in which you're in, regardless of the society or the, the nation in which you live, regardless of the government that has authority over you, the Bible's simple answer is yes. You can be a good citizen and a good Christian in any environment. And actually... The simplest way you could put all of the biblical data and content together is to say, give respect to your government, but give your heart to God. And that's the distinction that we're going to see today in what Jesus says. And actually, Jesus, Jesus says that your attitude towards your leaders, toward any type of authority, not just civil authorities, but your attitude towards your leaders reveals your heart's condition toward God. Well, what are the things that belong to the civil government? What is their due? That's really what the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the, Pharisee, uh, the, scribes, the teachers of the law, the elders, that's what they wanted to know when they came to Jesus. So they say to him, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They had been trying to trap him ever since he got to Jerusalem. They keep getting stumped. Uh, so they attempted again. They send him Pharisees and Herodians. Right? These are two sects. These are two camps within uh, the religious establishment in Jerusalem. And the Pharisees were small government people. Right? You, you can kind of call the Pharisees small government or no government People. They, they couldn't stand the Romans. They wished that the Romans weren't there. Actually, most of the Jews detested the Roman authority. Right? God was their king, and they should be free to worship and serve God. And so they detested Rome. Now, maybe these leaders thought that Jesus would be a radical. Right? He's done some pretty amazing things up to this point. He has quite a following. Jesus is from Galilee. Galileans, rural Galileans, were known to be political upstarts. They were known to be anti-Rome, anti-big government. Well, Jesus was a Galilean. Maybe they were thinking, if we can get him to say something about Caesar's tax, maybe we can get him to say something radical because he's from Galilee. And if he did say some radical 
anti-Roman statement, well, the Herodians were right there. Now, there's not a lot of historical data on who the Herodians were, but they appear to be big government type of people. Uh, they supported Herod. Herod was basically a Roman puppet, although he was, he was a king. Um, and so they supported the Roman authorities. So you have this left versus right political debate represented in these two sects. Does that sound familiar to you? You got a left versus right dynamic. Right? These two groups didn't like each other, but they both hated Jesus. So they gather together and they, they're coming to him because they're hoping that they can get him to say something, something anti-Rome or anti-Israel. They were hoping he would say something that would implicate him right? so that he would be arrested. If he says, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar, well, then they'd accuse him of being pro-Roman. Okay? They'd accuse him of being anti-Israel against his own people. If he said, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, well, then they could accuse him of being anti-Roman. They can accuse him of being against Caesar's authority and all that that entails. However he answers this question, they're hoping to trap him in a statement that would implicate him and maybe lead towards his arrest. That's what they wanted. But Jesus doesn't play politics, does he? Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't take a side. He's not neutral, but he doesn't take a side. Right? He doesn't side with the red states here. He doesn't side with the blue states. He does something else. He says, let me see a denarius. Now, the denarius was this silver coin. And on a denarius was Caesar's bust. It was an image of Caesar. And, and there, was a, there was an abbreviation of a Latin, a Latin statement on that coin that said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And one denarius was the required price for a Roman poll tax. It, it was a head tax. If you were not a Roman citizen but were subject to Roman authority, you had to pay this tax. And people hated it because it was a symbol of Roman authority and subjugation. And the Jews hated this tax. Actually, this tax incited a rebellion led by a man named Judas the Galilean decades earlier. This tax would lead to a revolution 30 or 40 years later that would ultimately result in, in the political annihilation of Israel as a state in 70 A.D., so this denarius and this poll tax that it represented was a hot issue. And Jesus takes this denarius, right, with, with Caesar's likeness and image on it, with Caesar's name on it. And he says, give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Do you remember when, when Steve held that little, that little um, what was it? It's like a little tag with his daughter's name on it. And one of the kids said, you should give your daughter her tag back. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. He said, look, give back to Caesar what clearly belongs to him. Give him back his money. This was radical. This, if, if, you, if you were a Jew at that time, whether you're a Herodian or a Pharisee or, or a political zealot, a revolutionary, this was radical. And the reason it's radical is because there's nothing radical about it at all. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's humble. That's why, that's why they're amazed. 
Because there's nothing radical about what Jesus is saying. In the New Testament, through Jesus' teaching and through the teaching of his apostles, a new attitude emerges that's reminiscent of Daniel's attitude in the Old Testament when Daniel worked for the Babylonian government. Respect the secular authorities. Respect the secular authorities. Because they are, in a way, God's servants. The Apostle Paul would one day say in the book of Romans, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists who God has appointed. Paul went on to say, Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And then Peter, who is one of Jesus' disciples, would have been here to hear this. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. It's easy to think that you should not show respect to those who are in authority over you, especially if they are abusive, especially if they are corrupt, because to show respect means you are condoning their actions. And to show respect means that, that, you are, that you are agreeing to subjugation. That in some way, you are acknowledging being a subject or even being a victim. But the Christian is free to respect authority for one very simple reason, because God is the highest authority. That's the basis for all of it. Daniel would say in his prayer, in, in Daniel chapter 2, we read it earlier this morning, God removes kings. God sets up kings. So Jesus says, think about this, Jesus says that the idolatrous pagan emperor has rights. Jesus said this. He also says God has rights. And this is where he stumps them because he, he shifts the focus of the conversation off of politics toward worship. Okay? He makes an issue of taxes and, and political authority and government an issue about worship. What are the things that belong to God? If you're a good Jew 2,000 years ago listening to Jesus, you would have thought of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5, where Moses said to the Israelites, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus would add, and with all your mind. Jesus would say in another place, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You remember when he said that on the Sermon on the Mountainside? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, your heart harbors what you love the most in life, what you cherish the most, what you are most devoted to, what you hoard the most, what you worship and whom you worship. That and those things are harbored in your heart. That's what motivates you to live. That's what motivates you to do what you do and to make the choices that you make. One commentator said this, if coins bear Caesar's image, 
then they belong to Caesar. But humanity, which bears God's image, belongs to God. And that word image there in in the Greek is the same word for image in the Greek Old Testament. When in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God created men and women in his image. So if you're a human being, you are an image of your creator. Certain things belong to Caesar. Jesus is saying other things belong to God. And he's saying, never devote to your government, to to any leader, what only belongs to God, what God is entitled to. Never give to a cause, never give to an ideology, as as good and just as it may be, what only belongs to God. You can be a good citizen, you can serve, you can sacrifice, you can honor, you can respect, you can participate. But Jesus says, you can't worship, you can't devote your heart to what only belongs to God. I think the reason some of us or some of you detest your president or detest certain authorities, certain political elected authorities in in your life is because you feel that they are taking things away from you that belong to you. And I can understand that and I can respect that because I feel that way. There, there, are, there are authorities in my life, whether in government or, or, or in my profession, that threaten me. Because I feel like they're trying to take away things that belong to me. But have you considered, friend, that maybe you're the one who's stealing? If you won't give to Caesar. Now, now when I say Caesar, I want you to think of anybody. Anybody in elected office. Anybody who is a boss or a manager at work a professor of yours, a teacher of yours, a parent, anybody who is in a position of authority in your life. If you won't give to Caesar, what is his due? Whether it's money, whether it's honor, whether it's respect, aren't you stealing from him? Aren't you stealing from those people the responsibility and the honor that Jesus affords to them? And and if you're stealing from Caesar... Aren't you lacking faith in God's authority over Caesar? Aren't you caring too much about what you're afraid you're going to lose if Caesar takes it away from you? And, And if you're lacking and if you're unwilling to trust God with the things that you're afraid you might lose, aren't you withholding from God what he deserves? Your trust, your worship your faith. You know, we're just as hypocritical as the Herodians and the Pharisees. They were amazed by what Jesus says, but I'm telling you, you and I should be just as amazed at the statements that Jesus is making because we rob our leaders of respect. We rob each other of respect and we rob God of his worship when we choose to place anything above him and when we're unwilling to, to submit to one another out of fear of what we might lose. And the bigger problem Jesus is saying is not what you owe to Caesar or to your leaders, but what you owe to God. 
Can you imagine? Can you imagine what you might owe to your creator? How could you ever pay God back for even the air that you breathe? And the gospel of Christianity, the good news that Jesus came to talk about and to bring into a reality is that someone was willing to pay for your debt. You may be able to give to your government the respect that God affords to them. You can never give to God what he requires. All your heart and soul and mind and strength. When have you done that last? But the gospel is this, that someone was willing to pay your debt. Jesus Jesus owns creation. The Bible says that everything was created through him. Jesus deserved Caesar's worship. Jesus deserved Caesar's respect and honor. But Jesus submitted himself to Caesar. Jesus submitted himself to the Jews also. He was the perfect citizen. He never never showed those in authority contempt and an unholy, unhealthy disrespect. Even when people were were goading him to become a revolutionary, he wouldn't. Even when his friends and disciples were basically putting swords in his hands, saying, when are you going to take over? He refused to do it, and he had every right to. He was the perfect citizen. Even more than that, Jesus worshiped God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength perfectly, always. He was not only the perfect citizen, but Jesus was the perfect worshiper. But when he hung on a Roman cross and bled and died a shameful death, he did it to pay back to God the debt that you owe God. The perfect citizen and the perfect worshiper hung on a Roman cross and suffered in order to pay back an irreconcilable debt that you and I owe. So, when you make Jesus your Lord, when when you receive Jesus' salvation, and when you receive Jesus' authority, Jesus' lordship, something amazing happens. The Bible says that when you belong to Jesus, you don't owe God anything. The debt is canceled as far as God's concerned when he looks at you. You don't owe him a thing. Now, does that mean that you don't worship him and you don't honor God and you don't honor your authorities? doesn't mean that at all. It's different now, though. You're not obligated to, you're not obligated to honor God. As you, as you begin to understand how much Jesus loved you, that when he hung on the cross, he hung there for you, you're going to start to want to worship God. You're going to start to want to submit to one another as Jesus submitted unto death. And so in Jesus, you're no longer obligated to worship God. Worship becomes what you want to do. It becomes a loving, thankful response to what Jesus has done for you. And once you are free to worship God, now you are free to respect people in authority over you. Because God's in control anyway. Because God is the ruler of the universe and you have become the heir to his kingdom. What can anybody in this earth truly do to you? We read earlier Romans Romans chapter 8 verses 35 where Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
And now that is a new foundation for us. Now we can respect our leaders even when they hurt us, even when they mistreat us, because we know that there is one who is sovereign even over our leaders. And that's how Daniel understood it. And that's how Jesus understood it. But if you haven't submitted to Jesus, if you have not in faith put your trust in Jesus, put the motivation of your heart into the hands of Jesus so that he becomes your greatest treasure, he becomes your greatest joy, he becomes your first love. If you haven't submitted to Jesus, here's the problem. You still owe God an irreconcilable debt that you can never pay, friend. Trust Jesus and trust him now. So the Bible tells us, oh, oh man, I almost forgot to share this passage with you. This is what makes it all make sense. First Peter chapter two, Peter would go on to say many years later, Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He did not retaliate. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You can respect your government and you should. But only give your heart to God. I think as Christians and as a church community, we should be in the habit of repenting for disrespectful hearts toward our government. And we should be in the habit of repenting disrespectful demeanors towards those who are in authority of us, whether it's at home or in school or at work or in our government. Look, if Jesus honored Caesar because he loved his father, surely you can honor people in your life who are in positions of authority because you love your heavenly father. That's how Jesus sees it. Let's pray. Father, this is not easy. It is not easy for us to hear what Jesus has to say. We love looking at that baby in a manger, but when he became a man, he started saying things that really threaten us. We confess that this is hard for us, Father, because we all have an idea of what the government is supposed to be for us. We all have ideas of what we believe the government owes us. We all believe that we have rights, but we confess to you, Father, that in your presence, we don't have any rights. In your presence, on our own, we are rebels that deserve nothing but your condemnation. But we thank you that you chose to give us a way out. We thank you that Jesus submitted perfectly to Caesar. He submitted perfectly to the Sanhedrin. Father, we praise you that although we will never submit perfectly to one another, we will never submit perfectly to good leaders, let alone bad ones. So we thank you for his submission. We thank you for what his love accomplished. Now help us to love him back. Make worshiping you a joy. Make submitting ourselves to one another a joy. Make submitting ourselves to our community to serve them a joy. Would you accomplish this, Father, in us and through us? In Christ's name, amen.